All right. We're going to read the New Testament from John 12, starting in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father, the father will honor him. And our sermon text, we have two this morning, and boy, we are going to get Psalm 31.3 in your heart. You're going to have this memorized before the service is over. Because Psalm 31.3 will be our first um, sermon text. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. And back to John chapter 14, verse 5 and 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Amen. Happy New Year, everybody. It's good to see everybody. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you for all that good singing. Uh, what a joy to have Jesus as the stability of our, of our times. It's a great joy to begin another year with my church family. Uh, I'm so thankful to be alive, even more thankful to be alive in Christ and to be sharing my reborn, redeemed, imperfect, yet growing life with you. Uh, may God be honored in our lives in 2023, individually, uh, in our relationships with each other, uh, in our marriages, in our families, and in our corporate life as a local body of believers gathered together in worship, in small groups, and in everyday life. May we strive with God's help to consider one another more important than ourselves. May we work to outdo each other in showing honor. May we always believe the best about one another. May God be honored as we strive to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. May God be glorified as we strive to proclaim the gospel, make disciples, raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and bless our community. May God move to save all of our children and all of our grandchildren. And may they love him with all of their hearts. May we fight the good fight of faith and defend our precious kids from the worldly wolves who are ravenous to captivate and devour their souls. 
May this coming year be our most Christ-exalting, God-honoring, Scripture-obeying, sin-defeating year as a local church. All for God's glory alone and for our continuing sanctification. 2022 was another wonderful year at RCC. Our good and great God blessed us tremendously. We had the joy of welcoming uh, new covenant members like Gail and Gabe and Joy and their family. Newlyweds Ben and Sarah Lee, Bill and Palma, Keith and Clayton, Clayton, uh, Clayton and Matthew, uh, Celeste, Jen and her family, Josh and Taylor and their girls, and Shanita, who we rejoiced to see her married to our brother Gabe. Very good year. And I know you run a risk when you start naming people, so please know if I've left someone out, not intentional, uh, and just go ahead and forgive me. Uh, and forgive me for all the other times that I've offended you during the year. Uh, if you haven't forgiven me yet, let me know so we can work that out, okay? Um, we had the great pleasure of welcoming new babies. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Piper Dunn and River Matthews and Amelia Joy Rodriguez. And then the times we got to pull out the baptism box and baptize people. We have the joy of baptizing Rhett and Reagan and Joy and David and Grace, Malachi and Bill and Palma and Will and Levi and Trey and Evan and Tori, Titus, Christopher and Christian. Praise the Lord for his goodness to us. It was a good year. I often feel like David in Psalm 40 verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Yes, the blessings of God are more than can be told. May God forgive me for those times when I forget them and wastefully and selfishly turn my gaze away from the abundant blessings that come from his gracious hand. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bless your name. You are the stability of our times. Thank you for the year you've given us the year that we've just finished. Thank you for those precious times when you led us to the mountaintops. Thank you for those hard and heartbreaking times when you walked with us through the valleys. All the time, making us more like yourself. Thank you, Father. And now, Father, on this first day of 2023, we ask you to speak to us from your precious word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to embrace your life-giving word to us.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've got a New Year's exhortation for you uh, from our memory verse for the month. That's why it was part of the sermon text. Uh, And then we will ponder together our next title or name for Jesus. And we're still at the letter W. Psalm 31. The focus is on verse 3, but I want to read the context uh, from the first two verses. Psalm 31, beginning at verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. Now note, did you see it? In verse 2, David prays for God to be his rock. Then in verse 3, the very next verse, he proclaims that he is his rock. So what's going on here? Is, Is this a prayer that is answered immediately? As in within one verse of his prayer? Uh, possibly, but I think it's even more than that. Could it be pointing us to the practice of praying for something that is already a constant reality? Because wouldn't you agree that God is always our rock, no matter how we feel? Jesus is always our rock, no matter what our circumstances are. I think as Edward Welch pointed out in his tremendous book on depression, he said, even when the rains of disappointment and discouragement and depression are pouring down on us, the believer is standing on the rock of who Christ is. Charles Spurgeon wrote, The tried soul, the tried soul, that person who's going through difficult times, the tried soul avows its full confidence in God. In other words, difficult times does never mean, never, never mean God is failing you or me or us. The tried soul avows its full confidence in God. Faith's repetitions are not vain. The avowal upon our reliance upon God in times of adversity is a principal method of glorifying him. And I believe that's what David is doing right here. Lord, I'm going through tough times. Be my rock and be my fortress. Oh, you are my rock and my fortress, even in these tough times. And that glorifies God. And it reminds us of Job, right? Everybody's familiar with Job. Job one twenty one. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. After he had lost everything, remember? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ask a kid's rocker, what's the big lesson from the study of Job, from the life of Job? 
And hopefully they will tell you we do not, we do not worship God for what he gives. We worship him for who he is. And then in Job 13, 15, later on in the book of Job, Job said, though he slay me, though these difficulties result in my death, my physical death, I will hope in him. My trust is not wavered. He is my rock and my fortress. No matter what's going on, no matter how I feel. So the prayer in verse 2 of Psalm 31 is not asking God to become a rock for us because he is already that. And God does not change. The prayer is for us to remember this truth that we know by faith. Again, as Spurgeon said, we pray so that we may, quote, enjoy in experience what we grasp in truth. So in other words, Lord, I know this is true. You are my rock. You are my fortress. Help me to experience that. Help me to reignite my belief in that because it has wavered. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary wrote, we know by faith that God is many things because the Bible tells us he is. That's the bottom line, right? The Bible teaches it. End of discussion. But this is a very different thing from proving God to be those things in our personal experience. In other words, living it out. What Paul might call in Philippians 2.12, working out our salvation. Okay, with me? Boyce continues, do you believe that God is all-powerful? Well, of course you do. Then pray that he will prove himself strong in your weakness. Do you believe that God is all-wise? Yes, of course. Perfect wisdom, we believe that. Then ask him to display his wisdom in the ordering of your life. And we could add things to voices. He gives us two examples here. We know God is all-powerful. Pray that that power will come through in your everyday life. We know that God is all-wise. Pray for that wisdom. Pray for him to display that wisdom in how you make decisions. We know that God is forgiving. Pray that that reality will, will affect your heart in such a way that you are free of all guilt and shame. You're no longer living in the past. You're no longer floundering because of past sin or past uh, errors of, 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 of judgment in a life of holiness. We know God is forgiving. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Then, Lord, may that reality affect the way I think about my past and the way I live going forward. Uh, we know that God is loving. God is love. God proves his love for the, us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know he's loving. So, God, may we know that in our feeble brains. May, we, may that 
that truth, that solid truth that never changes, affect the way we love others. And going back to the first one, affect the way we forgive others. We've been forgiven of all things. How can we not forgive others? So we could go on and on with that. But boy sums it up like this beautifully. You, in, in your prayers to God, you are, fill in the blank, then be, fill in the blank, should be the prayer of every Christian. You are all wise, and be my wisdom. You are forgiving. Then make that a reality in the way I think and the way I act toward others. So there you go. Now let's ponder the second half of verse 3. For your namesake, you lead me and guide me. Now consider these alternate translations. I've got six translations here. And we're going to look at them kind of as a, in our, like a parallel Bible, okay? Familiar with that? You've got, a parallel, you've got this translation says this, and this translation says this, and this translation. Okay, here we go. ESV, the one that I preach from, says, as we've just read, and for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. Now, that, is that a statement or a question? Well, that's a statement. For your namesake, meaning that's another phrase for for your glory, for your honor, for your namesake, you lead me and guide me, a statement. Lexham English Bible, so for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Oh, well, that's a prayer. Holman Christian Standard, you lead me and guide me because of your name, statement. New King James, therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Back to prayer. New American Standard, for your namesake, you will lead me and guide me. Statement. Confidence statement. You will lead me and guide me. New International, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. A prayer. So we got six translations here. Three of them translated as a statement and three, three of them translated as a prayer. So, so which is it, a prayer or a statement? What do you think? Both. Right. You got it. It's both. The answer is yes. Is it a prayer or statement? Yes. That's the answer. It's both. Let's work through this now. By his Holy Spirit, God leads and guides his people, right? It's a basic truth of Scripture. Psalm 23, 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you continually. The Lord will guide you continually. Let's ponder that one for a minute. Isaiah 58, 11. Note what Isaiah says. He will guide us. He will guide us. Not maybe. Not he might lead us. Or not he'll think about it. And if we do good, then he'll, he'll guide us. No, the Lord will guide us. He will guide his people. It's a certainty. We can count on it. God will not forsake us. He will not leave us to hopelessly wander around on our own. So if you're hopelessly wandering around on your own, then that's on you. God will guide his people. So 
If you're hopelessly wandering around, maybe you're not one of God's people. That's what you need to examine yourself concerning before we come to the table today. Note again what the prophet says about the duration of his guidance. He will guide us continually. Continually. Not sporadically. Not haphazardly. Not when he's in a good mood or when he feels like it. Not on Sundays and Wednesdays. But continually. Constantly. Always. Without fail. Prince of Preachers Charles Spurgeon said, We are not merely being led sometimes, but we have a personal God, not occasionally left to our own understanding, and so to wander, but continually hearing the guiding voice of the great shepherd. And if we keep close to his heels, we will not drift, but will be led by a right way to our eternal dwelling. Hallelujah. So, if that's a certainty then, does that mean we should not pray for it? Well, half the translators translated the verse as a prayer. So that seems to indicate to me, yeah, we need, it's a certainty, but we need to pray for it. Why? Why? Because we don't want to be presumptuous. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be cocky before God. We don't want to just take things for granted, right? Prayer is a way of expressing what? Our many things, but the one I want to highlight this morning is our total dependence on God. Our total, absolute dependence on God. So yes, God's guidance is a certainty, but we are to constantly pray for it. Why? Because we are totally dependent creatures. The breath you just took came from God. You were dependent on God for it. Every step you take, lost or saved, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God has shown, poured out his common grace on unsaved people by allowing them to breathe his air. Our prayerful dependence honors God. So yes, we're to follow the exhortation of James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So, beloved, dear church family, as you head into 2023, be encouraged. The Lord will guide us. He will guide you. But you And I and us need to constantly and consistently pray for it. And as we pray for God's guidance and then experience that guidance in in our lives, we grow stronger in our faith. That's one of the ways God strengthens our faith when he answers our prayers based on the reality of who he is. And in this case, He is our leader and our guide. So as a church family, let's begin the new year with the words of Psalm 31.3 on our lips, pouring forth from our reborn hearts. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, for your glory, you lead me 
and guide me. So before we move to the name of Jesus now, that, guess what, connects with this truth that we've been talking about. Let's sum up this point. Number one, God is our rock. He is our rock. Doesn't matter how we feel. Doesn't matter if we're having a bad day. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God is our rock. He gives us stable footing. He's the stability of our times. He gives us stable footing in a very, very unstable world. Number two, God is our fortress. God is our fortress. He is our shield of protection in the battle against the principalities and powers of darkness that are causing the instability in this world. God is our rock and our fortress. Count on it. Number three, he will lead us and guide us. He will. He will lead us and guide us. He will. Count on it. Bank on it. He will give us wisdom to properly engage the enemies of our souls. He will give us wisdom to fight the good fight of faith. He will. He will. Number four, we express our trusting dependence upon the Lord by consistently praying for his guidance that the Bible has already told us he will give us. But we still pray for it. Because we never take it for granted. We never presume upon our Lord. And we are constantly thanking him for it as he provides it. So God's promises do not eliminate the people of God's prayers. Okay? All right. And finally, he will do this for his name's sake. He will do it for his name's sake. In other words, not for our glory, but for his. Here's a good prayer from Psalm 109, verse 21. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. What a great prayer. Are you willing to pray that prayer? Am I willing to pray that prayer? Lord, whatever you need to do for your glory to me, do it. Deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Do with me what you will, Lord, but may you receive glory from it. That's a great prayer to start off the new year. So press on, church. Press on, beloved church family. Press on, dear believer. It's sad that the unbeliever can't respond to that exhortation. But to all believers in this room, I urge you, press on. Press on with this hymn on your heart, written by Ernest Shirtleff in 1887. Lead on, O King Eternal. The day of March has come. Henceforth in fields of conquest, your tents will be our home. Through days of preparation, your grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, we lift our battle song. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease. And holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. 
Lead on, O King Eternal. We follow, not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning where'er your face appears. Your cross is lifted o'er us. <laughs> there it is. Your cross is lifted o'er us. We journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O God of might. Hallelujah. I'm with this guy, okay? I, I, I'm with you. I pray we're together. I pray we're one, walking shoulder to shoulder. Lead on, O King Eternal. Now, a few more minutes. Let's wrap this up with another name of Jesus that's connected. Because a leader and a guide indicates what? There's a way, right? There's a way. There's a way to go. Okay? There's a path. There's a road. There's a whatever, trail. A leader and a guide, if there's nowhere to go, there's no need for a leader or guide. But there's a way, right? There's a way. So let's turn our corporate gaze now specifically to Jesus. Jesus not only shows us the way, he not only leads us in the way and guides us in the way. You know, the, you know where I'm going. He is the way. He is the way. So the closer we are to him, work with me now, the closer we are to him, the better we know him, the clearer will be his guidance in our lives. Right? So let's go to John 14, the second text that Ty read. And again, I'm going to read more of the context beginning at verse 1. John 14, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. Right before the cross, okay, there is near the end of his earthly life here. He's about to conclude his first advent. Uh, And he says in verse 1, John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, Jesus ain't going to lie to us. He never lies to us. If this was, would I have told you? If there wasn't a place for you, would I have told you that I would go into, no, never, because Jesus never lies. Okay, and we're going to see him confirm that in just a few minutes when we read the rest of the verse, right? Because he's not only the way, but he's also the what? The truth, right? Okay, so, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, verse 5. Think about what Thomas is asking here. Guys, don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the Bible? The Bible's so good. My heart breaks for people that are bored with it. It just really does. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So do you see it now? Do you see, do you see the connection to the first you know, 30, 35 minutes of this message? Do you see the connection here? What is Thomas 
basically asking for in verse 5? He's asking for guidance. Okay? Just like David was in Psalm 31. Thomas Thomas said, we don't know the way. How can we know it? In other words, unless somebody guides us. We need guidance. So Thomas is asking for what we've just discussed or considered and pondered in Psalm 31. Thomas is asking for that. And Jesus' response is not, let's make, take note of what it's not. Jesus' response is not, okay, I'm going to give you some directions and some guidance. No. No. His response is, I am the guidance. I am the directions. I am the way. Come to me and you will automatically be on the right path. You see it? I think there's a principle here, I believe. The key to guidance from God is knowing the Son of God. The key to guidance from God the Father is knowing God the Son. The key to guidance from God the Father through God the Spirit is knowing God the Son because He is the way. Jesus is the way. Not a way. He's the only way. He's the way. The only way to God. The only way to know God as Father. The only way to receive God's fatherly guidance and loving discipline. The only way to live properly. The only way not to waste your life. Acts 4.12. The Bible says this in many places. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there's no other name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator. One, only one, one. One mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, the only one. He is the only one. So the mountain theory is false, okay? You know the mountain, you've heard of the mountain theory. You may, not, you may have called it something else. I'm sure you've heard it. You, I called it the mountain theory. The mountain theory being at the top of the mountain, at the peak of the mountain is God, okay? And if you've ever done hiking, you know there are, in mountains, there are a lot of trails leading up to the top, but they all ultimately get to the top, right? Well, that's, that's the common view of how a person gets to God. Yeah, okay, yeah, we believe in God. He's up there at the top of the mountain. <clears throat> and there are many trails to him. You know, there's a trail of Christianity. There's a trail, trail of Judaism. There's a trail of Buddhism. There's a tra- trail of Islam. There's a trail of Confucian, whatever it is. Okay, there's a trail of secularism. There's a trail of whatever, okay? Many trails lead to the top of the mountain, and we're all going to get there eventually. doesn't matter which trail you take. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does, because all the other trails lead downward. There's only one trail, only one way to God. R.C. Sproul said it like this. What Jesus said in John 14, 6 is consistent with the theme that runs through the entire New Testament. 
that God has provided a road, a path, or a way of redemption, which was his plan from all eternity. And that the divine Logos, the second person of the Trinity, i.e. Jesus, took on himself a human nature to make that way. The only way. The only way. Okay? This truth is foreshadowed in the Old Testament by the curtain barring access to God's presence in the from the holy in the holy of holies from all except one person all except the high priest and then only once a year well who is our high priest yeah we've been at the letter h right it's jesus it's jesus he's the only way into god's presence and when he died the scriptures tell us that the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom. In other words, God initiated it. When he died, the price for our sin had been paid. The curtain was removed. The blockade between God and man was removed. When Jesus offered himself up as the Lamb of God, the final perfect sacrifice, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom, providing access for all who are trusting Jesus alone for their salvation. In other words, Jesus brought us to God. Second, uh, Second Peter 3.18, I believe, says that. Christ died for our sins in order to bring us to God. And he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one. The only one. Please understand that. He's the only one. Jesus is the way. He doesn't just show us the way or teach us the way. He is the way. Therefore, getting back to the connection with the first half of the message, he is also the answer to our prayers for guidance, right? 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, because God chose you before the foundation of the world, sent the Holy Spirit to take out your heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh. Because of him, you are now in Christ Jesus, watch this, who became to us wisdom from God. There you go. There you go. This is all related. Jesus being the way is related to our need for guidance. Because when we are in him, he becomes to us wisdom that we need for guidance, that we need to walk the narrow way, that we need to stay on the path of righteousness. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Colossians 2, 1, 1 to 3, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, watch this, which is Christ. Got it? All the riches of full assurance, knowledge of God's mystery, that would, I think, help us in our need for guidance it's Christ. It's just Jesus. It, 
you know, the Greeks, the, uh, Paul, in Romans, Paul, Greek, the Greeks, you know, the, the Gentiles seek wisdom. They want something real complicated. This is too simple for the brainiac. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Your need for guidance is fulfilled in Jesus because he is the way. And then he goes on, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's Jesus. It's it's just Jesus, gang. It's Jesus, everything. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The reason he's the way is because he's also the truth and the life. Yeah, I know we've already done T and L, but let's hit those real quick. These two are vital. They're vital for us to walk the narrow way. First, Jesus is the only way to God because he's the truth. You can't be walking the right way without knowing and submitting to the truth. If you don't think absolute truth is important, you are not on the narrow way of Jesus. You are on the broad way that leads to destruction. I heard a pretty, pretty discouraging statistic the other day, and it was, it was, it was this. I, I remember the number. I don't remember the exact demographic. I don't know if it was Gen Z or Gen X or Gen Q or Gen Y or whatever it is, but it was talking about young people. So I'm going to say like under 40, under because under 40, you say, that's all. no, if, if you're putting, when you're pushing 70, under 40 is young. Right, Mark? Yeah, okay. So it's basically said this, over 40% of young people, and I don't remember the exact demographic, but it was talking about younger people, younger, our younger generations, over 40% of them do not believe in absolute truth. They do not believe in absolute truth. You can just make up your own truth. Truth is personal. Listen, you can have personal opinions. You cannot have personal truth. Based on the definition of truth, which they probably changed. Because you, know, you, read, you read the article this week, Cambridge di- changing the definition of women. Uh, you, you, you know what the definition of, I, I just learned this this week, definition of a bigot. Bigot is someone who is a true believer. That was one of the synonyms for bigot, true believer. So if you're a true believer in the Word of God, there it is. That's why they're calling you a bigot. As that article said, you know, changes like that, they seem real subtle. They, they go past us. They fly by our head, but they're, they're just they're grabs for power. Because who wouldn't trust a dictionary? Come on, these are written by smart people. Who wouldn't trust a dictionary? Okay, let's go see what a, uh, a bigot is. Let's go see what a woman is. Let's go see. Okay, dictionary. Yeah, okay, that, that must be it. That must be right. Because it's written by really, really, really smart people, intellectual people. Jesus will be the stability of our times. He will be the stability of our times. We live in unstable days. To deny that is to have your head in the sand. And in this coming year, we're going to see it more and more. Be ready. Be ready. I'm so thankful I'm with you. So thankful. Where was I? Man, I got on a, got on a track, got on a rabbit trail.
That's when I usually offend people, sorry. But uh, 40% of young people don't believe in absolute truth. That's heartbreaking. That's sad. And it's a recipe for disaster. But not for the kingdom of God. It's a recipe for disaster for a nation, for a community, for church, but not for the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus, because of Jesus, he's the stability of our times. So if you're not submitting to truth, you're not following Jesus. You're not on the way to God. He's the truth. Secondly, he's, he's the life. He's also the life. Jesus is the only way to the Father because he alone has the power of eternal life. Isn't that what John said at the beginning of his gospel? John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Isn't that what Jesus said to a brokenhearted sister in a graveyard mourning the death of a brother named Lazarus? John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then the apostle reiterates it in the longest of his brief letters toward the end of the New Testament in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. So listen and please understand. Please, please know this. Please know this. Watch it on YouTube. Please know this. Please. Without Jesus, you have no life. Without Jesus, you have no life. You are dead in trespasses and sins. Your heart may be beating, and your lungs may be sucking in air and pumping out carbon dioxide, but spiritually, dear friend, you are a zombie. From a spiritual standpoint, you are literally, literally the walking dead. So if you're not a Christian, I pray that today, right now, God will enlighten your mind to understand that you desperately need Jesus. I pray that God will reveal that to you, that to you and give you new life. New life that loves truth and is on the way to God through Jesus, who is the only way. Last word today goes to Glenn Scribner in his great uh, devotional commentary entitled uh, Between, Reading Between the Lines. He's got an Old Testament volume, a New Testament volume. Highly recommend if you hadn't gotten that yet. It's the book of the month a couple of years ago. Uh, here's what he says about the verses we've just considered. What is the way to God? It is not a long ascent to heaven through deeds and rituals. The way is Jesus. And therefore, it is a way that has come down to us. The way is not our approach to God. The way is Christ's approach to God. And He, has, and he God, is given freely to us. Jesus does not show us the way and leave us to get on with it. Jesus blazes the trail 
and invites us directly to the destination. What is the truth of God? It's not an impersonal logic that we have to piece together through information that we have gathered on the ground. The truth is Jesus. Jesus does not show us truths about God. He puts himself in our eye line and says, keep looking. Keep looking at me, at Jesus. Truth, oh, please hear this. Truth does not assess the claims of Jesus. Jesus is the truth who assesses everything else. In other words, Jesus answers to no one. Jesus answers to no truth claim statements outside of himself. Jesus is not measured by the quote-unquote truth of the world. He measures everything else. And sadly, so many have been weighed and measured and found wanting. What is the life of God? It is not an abstract ethical program or spiritual state or future bliss. The life of God is Jesus. And he pra- as he prays in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's my prayer for every one of us. That's my prayer for every unsaved person, that they would know Jesus. Because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and godliness. What's the question? Question, How do I live in this day and time? The answer is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you. Thank you a trillion times. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving us to die in our sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the debt that we could have never paid. And then raising from the dead to giving and giving us his life. We bless your name, Father, and we thank you. In the name of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord Jesus. Amen.